Well, good morning. It's so good to be with you all again this morning as we continue uh, in this uh, journey through Mark's gospel. And this morning, we're going to be dealing with a particularly challenging text, Um, a a passage that is probably going to meet many of us where we are because over the last four and a half months in at least real time, uh, maybe we could consider it more like 10 years in quarantine time, life has been incredibly challenging. For those of you who live by yourself, it has been lonely and exhausting. For those of you who live with family members or with a spouse, it has been been exhausting and stressful. We are sinners living in a broken world, some on top of each other, some isolated from one another. And it can feel like nobody even cares about you. Quarantine life is incredibly challenging, especially for relationships. A couple months ago, my wife and, and our family were, were doing a walk in our neighborhood and we ran uh, into, into, into a casual friend, a couple who lives in the neighborhood. Um, and after exchanging pleasantries without any provocation, he said, when this thing is all over, there are gonna be a lot of divorces. He's, he's right. In one sense, it gave us a little mindset into what a normal couple is feeling and going through. In another, it's probably what many of us are feeling and going through. As sinners, we're either living on top of each other or isolated from one another. Is there any hope? What does our God have to say to us about this? So if you would, please turn with me now to Mark's gospel. We're actually going to look at the last verse in chapter 9, verse 50, and then go into our first 10 verse, uh, 12 verses in, verse, in chapter 10. So let's turn now to Mark chapter 9, verse 50. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. And he, being Jesus, left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And in the house of the disciples, uh, they asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and he marries another, she commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer as we consider this passage? Our God and Father, we thank you that you speak to us. And I pray that as we consider, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Be at peace with one another. Jesus ends that previous section with those words. To be a disciple of Jesus meant 
to follow him. It meant to seek the kingdom of God, but it also means to seek peace with one another, as Ryan even reminded us earlier. And Jesus says that here, from, from that verse, Marx begins this new section of his gospel story, and, and Jesus is challenged by the Pharisees. He's challenged with this initial question about divorce. So almost immediately, when Jesus commands us to be at peace with one another, we, we see this counterexample as the, as, as the Pharisees are trying to sow discord amongst Jesus and, and, uh, and his constituents there. But verse 1 of chapter 10 gives us uh, some insight into what's going on. It says, it gives us a bunch of geographic detail. Jesus and his disciples, they leave Galilee and they travel to this area of the Jordan wilderness near the region of Perea. And this location is important to us. It's important because earlier in Mark's gospel, something very specific happened here. This was the area of John the Baptist's ministry. And not only that, this is also the area of King Herod, Herod of Antipas's main rule and authority. Well, then we go on to, to verse 2, and, and Mark tells us that the Pharisees come up to Jesus in order to test him. And as, you, as we read the text, the supposed test feels underwhelming, doesn't it? This is the question that is supposed uh, to be Jesus' undoing? Uh, he knows the Bible. It's not that particularly challenging of a question. Yes, the question was controversial in the day, and the Pharisees knew that. There was much debate going on about the specifics of divorce, but there's something else going on here. When you take the question and the geography together, we understand why this was a real test. The Pharisees were hoping for Jesus to say something about the unlawfulness of divorce and marriage in that location. Because that is exactly what John the Baptist did. And that is exactly what caused him to be imprisoned and beheaded. Right? It was John the Baptist who had criticized Herod and in in his marriage to his brother's wife, Herodias. Herodias and Herod's brother had not been lawfully divorced. Therefore, Herod of Antipas and Herodias' marriage was unlawful. And we see here that Jesus refuses to take the bait. He answers the Pharisees' question with another question. He reframes the conversation. He uses the opportunity to teach about broken relationships. And he uses the opportunity to teach about the purpose of relationships. And this morning, there's so much going on in this passage. We're, we're not going to focus as much on the legalities of divorce and marriage. There's many great resources that I can point you to uh, to learn more about that. But rather, we're going to focus on what Jesus is communicating to us. First, we're going to do this in three different parts. First, we're going to look at a lot of the background uh, to this text because there's a, a lot here. Second, we're going to look at what Jesus is teaching us about our hardness of heart. And then third, we're going to look at the grace of his love and the love that we have uh, an opportunity to show to one another. Let's first look at the background of the text. So as we enter the story... We see Jesus answers the Pharisees, right? He, he refuses to answer their specific question and say, here are the boundaries of what's allowable or not. Instead, he says, here, here is the intent. Here is the center, the center. How frustrating of an answer, right? Because 
We love to know the boundaries. We like to ask the question, how far is too far in a dating relationship? Or how much tithing do I have to do? And specifically, is that tithe supposed to be pre-tax or post-tax? We like to know where the boundaries are. Well, Jesus says, if you're asking these questions, you're missing the point. The boundaries, or we could say the law, was given because of sinfulness. The rules are there because of our hardness of heart. And what Moses is doing in his rule is giving us an idea of what they are supposed to live in a broken world. In a world where people do not get along and we sin against uh, one another, relationships end all of the time. right? Where, Where we break up in a relationship, there needs to be rules in order to limit the damage. So God, through Moses, allows for a man to divorce his wife, but specifically with a certificate of divorce. And and as we read this passage, it probably sounded particularly harsh, especially for women. And and there was certainly an element of of a harshness toward women 4,000 years ago. We're not going to get into that as much, but this law is far from devaluing women. It's actually a means by which to protect the woman who had no societal power to protect herself in divorce. So Moses allows for divorce, not because he thought divorce was no big deal, but because he knew that marriages in a broken world were going to dissolve no matter what. And a woman, without a husband or without a father to vouch for her and care for her, and a woman without a certificate of divorce, would have no way to survive. She would be treated as an outcast. She would be forced into prostitution in order to care for herself. But with a certificate of divorce, she could obtain a financial benefactor, right? She could get a new spouse without causing that spouse to fall into sin by marrying her. This is an imperfect solution for an imperfect world. It's not the way that it's supposed to be. So after pointing the Pharisees back to Moses, Jesus takes them, he takes them from those boundaries to the center of why God created mankind. It's, it's to be in relationship with him and to be in relationship with one another. Jesus, he jukes this boundary question and he cuts straight to the heart of the matter. Mankind is to be in relationship with God. Mankind is to be in relationship with one another. Men and women on this earth are meant to be in relationship with one another. And specifically, marriage is a gift that God has given us to help us understand his relationship with us. In many ways, the coronavirus world that we're living in makes us want to know more than ever where the boundaries are or where the rules are. Part of why, at least I want to know where the boundaries are so that I don't have to look at my own heart. As long as I know where the line is, I can wiggle my toes all the way up to the very front and not cross it. We think, I didn't commit adultery today, so I'm fine. Or I I may have screamed at my roommates or my spouse or my children, but I I didn't go over the line. Or maybe even less than that, we think, I just, I need to tune them out. 
I need to tune them out for a bit. So, so just one more episode to watch, maybe just one more or two more hours of work or, or just one more glass of wine. Even if, if you're not married, it's still a temptation to look at the boundaries, to look at the law so that we don't have to look at ourselves. Maybe your computer search history would demonstrate that you've focused on the boundaries of what's appropriate or proper to look at. Or maybe your credit card payment will reveal that you've edged right up to the, to the line of what's, of what's appropriate to buy on yourself. We pay attention to the boundaries because our hearts are restless. They've been hurt and they hurt others. That's going to lead to our second part as we talk about our hardness of heart in a broken and sinful world. To live in this world full of sinful people, broken promises and empty dreams, as one of my favorite country music singers says, is invariably to feel the need to guard our hearts. Right? We feel the need to protect our hearts so that they don't get hurt more than once or twice, right? Because once that happens, we don't trust anymore. Fool me once, shame on you, but fool me twice. We'd rather keep our hearts intact than experience that hurt any longer. C.S. Lewis, the famous academician and theologian and philosopher, said this famously about our self-protective hearts. To love at all is to be vulnerable, Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or the coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. As we protect from past pains and hurts, our hearts get harder and harder. They become unbreakable, right, as they turn into stone. And as a result, we can live in two different ways. We can lock our hearts up in the selfishness of hedonism, or we can store our hearts in the coffin of legalism. So we're going to look at those two things, legalism or hedonism and legalism. Let's first look at hedonism. Hedonism is a, it's a $10 word, and I'm feeling smart just even saying it, right? It's a $10 word for indulging in whatever gives us pleasure. It is the unbridled pursuit of selfishness. It's the philosophy that the best way to happiness is to maximize pleasure and to minimize pain. And we all, as modern Americans and Western, uh, Western people, have elements of hedonism in our lives and in our spiritual lives. There's numerous examples of how we operate this way. We, we maybe think, if I go on Pinterest, then I'll find a list of five items that if I just owned, my life would be more simple and more full. Or maybe we think in the context of friendships, this friendship is it's just not fulfilling anymore. I'm giving more than I'm getting. In fact, this relationship is a bit toxic. Or maybe we think I just need to veg Right? I need to get out of here. I need to go on vacation. I need to go eat some awesome food and see the world and just leave the pain of this behind and experience some joy. Right? Quarantining 
no matter what life has been like the last four and a half months, I would imagine that you have felt these types of urges. And hedonism is one of the many things that we bring into a marriage relationship. In fact, we place hedonistic expectations on relationships all the time. We enter into a a dating uh, relationship or a marriage relationship expecting for it to be self-fulfilling. We expect to get something out of the relationship. Initially, we feel that, that new relationship excitement. But the longer we continue in the relationship, the more they fail to meet our expectations. Right, the longer we're with them, the more they sin against us. And maybe the more we realize that they're not the savior we thought they were going to be. The way that our culture defines love is a form of hedonistic love. We view love as an emotion. This is what I'll call the Whitney Houston way of love. Right? The, oh, I want to dance with somebody. Right? I want to feel the heat with somebody. With somebody who loves you. Right? I, I love that song. But it is, it, it's an important look into what's going on in our life. And the way that our culture views love. So... I'm in love as long as I feel that warm feeling of happiness. But unless your relationship is in a crazy awesome honeymoon phase right now, my guess is that most of you aren't feeling that type of regular warm fuzzies in your marriage or in your relationship. So love isn't a feeling, then that must mean that love is something else. Well, legalism... It's the opposite of hedonism. And though it's the opposite, it is still selfish. Right? It is a strict adherence to the law or the rules. It's a self-justification through that strict adherence to the law or the rules. And again, as Westerners or maybe even as West Houstoners, we are all prone to legalism in our life, in our relationships, in our spiritual life. We think if I go to the right marriage conferences if I read the right books, if I, if I get the right recipe of administering the five love languages, then my relationship is going to come out perfect. And if I put together the right recipe of the right behaviors on my part, then my spouse, my spouse will respond in kind. If I do the dishes, say something nice, pay a little attention, then, then the relationship is going to be satisfying for me. The legalism approach is what I'll call the Rihanna way. It's work, 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 right? The only way to have a good Christian marriage is to work at it. We have to pray together as a couple. We have to to have family devotions all of the time. We have to do this. We have to do that. And the legalism effect in a relationship is to become overly concerned with what you do or not do, that you don't see the other person right there in front of you. You don't love the other person in front of you. You treat them like a math equation rather than the human being that they are. And we can use legalism as a means by which to keep others from getting to know us, right? To to truly be vulnerable before another human being. And we can also do this in our spiritual life. We can keep God at bay through legalism rather than be vulnerable with him. We're so busy doing when we do that that we never examine why 
We'll never examine why we're doing it or even what our relationship is like with him. When I was a sophomore in high school, I went on, on a Young Life trip up to Malibu in Canada with, with about 50 or so kids from my school. Um, it was a great trip. There were so many people who came to know Jesus, praise the Lord, through it. And as, as, the, as the, uh, the week was ending, my small group of, of about 12 guys who were all in my grade, we were on fire for Jesus at the end of it. And we had a plan that we were going to do something amazing and something that our high school would notice. We were going to sign a contract. It, it was it was. A bunch of different things that we were going to do or not do. It was somewhat of the standard things. We were not going to use tobacco. We were not going to drink alcohol. We were not going to say cuss words. We were going to talk about Jesus. And the list went on and on and on. It was a list that went far beyond what I'm even describing here. And within weeks or days even, almost everyone had broken the contract. But there's one thing that's even worse. And that was my reaction. Mine was the belief that I had kept the contract. Where everyone else had failed, I had succeeded. And I believed that I was living the virtuous Christian life. And in my youthful arrogance, my relationship with God began to deteriorate a little bit. I didn't feel his love anymore or my love toward him. I felt less love because I felt less need. I felt more like I deserved his love, like I had earned it. And we can treat both God and others this way. Through, through legalistic striving, we can keep others at a distance. And the relationship begins to deteriorate. So what do we do with our hard hearts? And the answer is that we need new hearts. And that transplant comes through the grace of Jesus' love. And let's look at that part now. So if love is not a feeling and love is not work, then what is it? Well, Paul tells us in Colossians to love one another and that we're supposed to do so by putting on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Well, this famous wedding passage, Paul is saying that like the idea of love as work, love is an action. Love means being compassionate. Love is being kind, humble, meek. Love is patient and forgiving. And all of a sudden it begins to sound a little bit like 1 Corinthians 13 a maybe even more famous wedding passage. Paul is telling us in both these passages that love does take work. It's not a description of how we feel, but it's also not something merely that we do, but it's something that we do sacrificially because of Jesus. In fact, that's the entire context of what Paul is exhorting. If we were to go back earlier in Colossians, we'd see that Paul says, if you have then died, if you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Before Paul ever tells the Colossians to actively love others, he reminds us of the embodiment of sacrificial love. He reminds us of Jesus. 
Paul never tells the Colossians or us to just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and get to work loving other people. Rather, he's reminding us to love sacrificially and actively because Christ has loved you in that very same way. As Christians, we believe that Jesus, being God himself, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but that he loved the world so much that he condescended from heaven to be a man. He did so out of love for you and me. So to love like Christ is to enter in. It's to pursue a spouse, a friend, a child, to study them, and to no longer consider our hedonistic happiness or our arbitrary laws something to be held on to or something to be grasped. It's that kind of sacrificial love that Paul writes about frequently in his letters. Yes, Christ's Christ sacrifice is our model of how to love each other, but more importantly, Christ's love for us is the grace that we need to truly love others. Because we will fail to sacrificially love as he has commanded here. But when we do so, there is forgiveness in Christ. When you've completely run out of patience with your spouse or with a friend, look to Jesus. When you spent the last hour or day or week checking out emotionally, turn back and run to Christ. When you have strived and done all that you can possibly do to make the relationship work, turn to Jesus. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. It is there that you will be loved. It is only there that you will find the type of love that won't let you down. It's that active and sacrificial love of Jesus that both demonstrates to us what true love is and it is the power that we need to love one another when our hearts are overwhelmed with hurt or when they're hardened and feel nothing because of self-protection. For most of you, the type of marital struggle that you're facing right now is stressful. But it's probably not truly on the verge of collapse. But for others of you, you might be days or hours even away from just walking away from the relationship. You might be thinking, Taylor, I need more than a reminder of Jesus' love. And you're right, you do. You need a physical reminder of it. You need to come, have someone come alongside of you. You need to have the body of Christ to bring the love of Jesus to you in the flesh. And so I would urge you right now to take this opportunity to reach out, maybe to our counseling center or to a pastor or elder, but at least a friend. Reach out to someone to come alongside of you in this challenging, stressful time. For others of you, you have been in failed marriages or you've been affected by failed marriages, perhaps that marriage ending was your fault, but maybe not. Whatever the situation, you might be wondering, is there any hope for me? And the answer is absolutely. God's grace to us is that even when we were sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Even when we were his enemies, Jesus loved us that much. J.I. Packer, the famous theologian, passed away a couple days ago. And as he has now entered into glory, I wanted to share something that he said to us about God's grace. He said, there is tremendous relief in knowing God's love to me is utterly realistic. 
It's based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me so that no discovery can disillusion him about me. God knows everything about you. The worst things that you've done, the worst things that you have thought. Whether the marriage ending was your fault, whether the marriage being in stress right now is your fault, it doesn't matter. Christ Jesus loves you. We are a sinful people with hard hearts and the good news for us is that Christ is in the business of hearts. He gives us new ones. Through him we have the ability to love others and to do so well. Yes, divorce divorce is a reality in a fallen world and many of us feel the weight of that divorce all of the time. But despite the hardness of heart that exists in the world Christ is making all things new. And perhaps even more importantly, Christ is making our hearts new. So if you would, please pray with me now. Our God and Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for the love of Jesus. That though we are in a fallen world and though it is not yet the way it is supposed to be, that Jesus is changing all things, beginning with our hearts. We pray, Lord, that we would turn to Jesus in faith to go through whatever challenge we are going through. Father, give us the strength to reach out to someone if we need help. We pray, Father, that you would come alongside of us. By your spirit, we pray in Christ's name, amen.